And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jay Wall, Chris McCormick, Gene Parenti. We're back. More gear news. You know, before we we did this podcast, all of a sudden, Coach decides that he's going to throw me under the bus because I'm making a last-minute trip to Scottsdale. Coach, you're you're a jerk. Chris didn't need to know that. I This is a really bad way to start off this podcast. Just firing up the energy. All all the feels here, Jay Wall, because there was there was a time not in the in the too distant past that here I came go. through Dallas. It, well, uh-huh. I, I mean, we have to talk about it now. How, but how Thanks. long were you in town for? I got in. I drove from the Ryder Cup down to Texas, spent the night, and then flew out the next morning. Okay, it was pretty similar to what I'm about to do. <laughs> yep, yep. And I got I got all kinds of shit. Because I didn't let you know that I was in Texas. And here you are coming out well, hey, to Scottsdale. Here, this is me letting you know I'm going to be in Scottsdale tomorrow. All right. I'll meet you at Ping. Okay. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll do breakfast before I, before I have to roll over. We're just I coming to Ping. It's like right in my backyard. I live, uh, I live way out in the West Valley here. Just roll over. There might be a, a multi-time major, not major winner, multi-time tour winner. Tour winner. Multi-time tomorrow. tour winner. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe you changed putter that, recently. Who who maybe changed putters? Who maybe changed putters recently? Good to know. Good to know. That might be a thing. It might definitely be a thing. Be He's around. a long hitter. He's a long hitter. Basketball. Okay. Okay. Nike guy. And a Nike guy. And a Nike. Guy. I'm giving you all the hints here. Has 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 he been uh, a friend of the pod in the past? He has been a friend of the pod. So there you there go. There go. are all your hints. All right. I think you know who it is. Might have a might have an inkling. Yep. So I'm going <laughs> down to, to hang with him for a bit. Anyway, a lot going on in the gear world as usual. Let's start things off with the big story. Phil Mickelson, we got to talk about it. You know, last week on the podcast, we were discussing the potential for advertisers, sponsors to drop Phil. And I think we all we were all in, in agreement that that it was there was potential for it. And sure enough, right after we discussed the potential, it drops. So you've got Workday cutting ties with Mickelson. You've got KPMG, Amstel Light, and Callaway. So Callaway, Callaway. Didn't, didn't necessarily drop Phil, but they said that they're putting a pause on the relationship. The statement from Callaway was, Callaway does not condone Phil Mickelson's comments. And we were very disappointed in his choice of words. They in no way reflect our values or what we stand for as a company. Phil's apologized, and we know he regrets how he handled recent events. We recognize his desire to take time away from the game and respect that decision. At this time, we have agreed to pause our partnership, and we will reevaluate our ongoing relationship at a later date. Are you surprised that Callaway hit pause? Surprised? No, this is this is 2022 and cancel culture is in full swing. Why would anybody be surprised that Phil is getting canceled? He's not getting canceled. Well, he's just getting paused. It just, well, just a pause. Just a pause. And and I think and I think that the sad part again for Phil is how long has Phil been with Callaway? Over 10 years? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, this, is, this is going back to, I guess, like early, early 2000s. Yeah, I would say yeah. we're we're in that twenty year range. Yeah, so the, I mean, not really quite sad. as long as Alice Cooper, but he's definitely been a staffer <laughs> for a long time. Well, the the really sad part is, 
he was almost at emeritus status, right? Where, you know, I mean, he could come out with a Mickelson line and Callaway. I mean, you know, if he continued on the, you know, Phil's career has, has had a lot of controversy and a lot of ups and downs. And it seemed like he'd eclipsed all that and really was moving into the senior statesman position. And it all blew up in a week. And the reality is, you know, I, I mean, here's my take. I could be wrong, but the pause will be a long pause. And and depending on if the PGA suspends him or not, I think he just kind of goes quietly into the sunset and Rom and Xander become the new faces of Callaway and they just kind of forget about him. What would they what would they suspend him for? What would they suspend? Uh, well, that's a good question. I mean, con- blasphemy. I, I, I think there's a code of conduct, right? To, to, be a P- to be a PGA yeah. member. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. I haven't read. I don't know the details of the, of the contracts of the PGA members, but I have heard, you know, quite a bit of rumblings that some sort of suspension is coming down. Now, maybe that exists. Maybe it doesn't. But, um, I, you know, and, and, and it goes – you know, the other interesting point that Norman made in all of this was, you know, uh, there's some major antitrust issues that the PGA has because, you know, they basically said you're persona non grata if you play on the Saudi tour, but you can play on the European tour and play in the PGA. You can play on the Latin American tour and play in the PGA. You can play on the Asian tour and play in the PGA. So it's like, I'm not quite sure, you know, I'm no lawyer, but that doesn't seem to pass the sniff test. You can selectively choose which tours, you know, you, you allow to, to kind of have, you know, we'll call it dual residency versus right. this tour where you get knocked out, you know, so. Gene's no lawyer, but he did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty much. So he's That's, good. He's good. He's good. Yeah. He's really good. I'm, I'm yeah. discussing things way over the tips <laughs> of my skis with, player conduct and uh i just and, wanted to see if you had anything salacious for us you know you you've, you've got you've got some you've got some sources in the industry i just i was just kind of doing a little bit of digging, digging Nothing, in the dark. No, you, you know no smoking guns but i mean to be honest i'm sure you guys have heard as well there's a lot of rumors that you know and, and the first um as chris was saying i mean especially you know publicly traded companies any hint of controversy now they're they're very skittish about you know holding on to um anyone that that doesn't represent the brand and he definitely you know crossed that threshold and so you know the next threshold is if the pga decides to you know provide you know because the pga can suspend you if you do drugs so i mean they definitely have a rule of conduct i just don't know how it goes as far as biting the hand that feeds which is the category that you know he definitely fell into oh yeah yeah well i repercussions are coming it's just at what degree we shall see i do think that eventually you're going to see callaway hit the play button on the relationship again. I don't think it stays in pause and, and they go their separate ways. I think eventually, I mean, with today's like 24, even maybe if you want to extend it out to 48 hour news cycle, I mean, stuff, stuff goes away pretty quickly. I even saw Roy McElroy was asked about Phil this week at Bay Hill. And did you guys see his comments last week? He was, I mean, some pretty sharp, sharp and pointed comments towards Phil 
And he even did a reverse and was talking about Phil as an ambassador and, you know, can still be an ambassador. And I mean, it was like, whoa, I, I guess I didn't expect some of the guys to go the opposite direction so quickly. But yeah, I, I don't think this is going to last forever. I think eventually they'll get back together. Well, and it begs I mean, the question as to how much politics is involved there, Jay Walt, with publicists and PR teams and oh, you know, what they'll image. Let die, they'll let it die down first before before it goes you know, before they get back together. But yeah, I agree. I think they're probably just letting things run their course right now. <clears throat> once things start to simmer and gets a little bit quiet, I think they'll get back together. And, you know, the truth of the matter is America loves a, a rebound or a resurrection story, you know, and the, the, the challenging part for Phil is going to be, you know, does he stay adamant on the reforms that are necessary for the PGA or does he come back with his tail between his legs, you know? And it's just interesting because he's a guy who speaks his mind. That's what everybody's always loved about him, but it just bit him big time this time. Definitely did. All right. So this is another RoboTest week. If you're not familiar with golf's new RoboTest series, it's where we let Gene's robot run a bunch of, I, I call them like, it's debunking a lot of gear myths and then adding insights that might help you play better golf is, is the way that I look at this new RoboTest series. And the latest one, which is being released today as this week's podcast drops, Driver versus three wood. Now, just saying that you would think, well, surely, and it's a distance contest here. Driver is going to beat three wood 10 times out of 10. But we had Gene's robot run at four different speeds 60, 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. And Gene, maybe, maybe those slow swing guys need to, to reconsider when it comes to whether they're pulling driver or three wood. Well, you know, the, the, the interesting thing, Jonathan, you, you touched on it, Miss, but they're also like, um, uh, whenever I go out on a golf course, you know, when you deal in data, you try not to deal in anecdotes, but when you hear enough anecdotes and collect them together, they start to actually form a database that, you know, and over the years, one of the kind of the anecdotal databases that I picked up on to countless golf courses across the country, guys would tee off with their three-wood. And I'd say, why do you tee off with your three-wood? I hit it further than my driver. And I'm going, huh, well, it's shorter. It's a smaller head. It's got higher spin. And, you know, a head-to-head -head test, um, most of the time, a driver versus a three-wood, the driver wins. And so started looking at this and going – is there truth to this, number one? And if there is, what is causing it? So that that was kind of the the background or the impetus, you know, it's kind of curiosity to find out, is this true or is this not? And so, you know, one of the things that, that we all know um, with three woods, because especially a 15 degree three wood versus a 10 degree drivers, you've got five extra degrees of lock. And that is one of the biggest kind of, uh, components of this that really aids uh, some of these swing players is they get the ball in the air. And then you take the fact that the average amateur golfer is about negative two on the attack angle. And what that means is they're hitting slightly down on the golf ball. So they're actually de-lofting 
their 10.5 or 10 degree down to probably an eight, sometimes even a seven. So you're, you're hitting down on the ball, you're de-lofting and the ball goes out and it rises and it doesn't go very far versus with the three wood, you've got all of that natural loft built into the club face. And so it gets the ball in the air. So long story longer, we set up negative two with a driver and a fairway wood. We test them at 60, 70, 80, and 90 miles an hour. At 60 miles an hour, the three wood was four yards longer than the driver. At 70 miles an hour, it was five yards longer than the driver. At 80 miles an hour, they were equal. And at 90 miles an hour, and was three or 13 yards longer than the three wood. So you've got this kind of, you've got this kind of upslope plane and then drop off from an equipment standpoint. And this is something that I don't think enough players really look at. There's a lot of go. I either have a nine or a 10, five, and they don't look at the 12 degree, but the 12 degree options of the driver, but at 12 degrees, it's getting you hitting your three wood longer than your driver. I would recommend looking at some of these 12 degree loft options of some of these um, top products because that might be your sweet spot that gets you the speed that you need from the driver but the launch characteristics um, that are similar to the, what the three wood is providing yeah so gene was was breaking out mr roboto was having an auto-tune moment right there and but the the point is that a 12 degree driver i would agree you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting option because most golfers would never consider 12 because, you know, they would go, well, I mean, 12 degrees, that's pretty close to my three wood. Why, why would I ever do that? Well, why not? I mean, if you're, if you're already struggling with, with height and being able to launch the ball in the air, why not use a 12 degree? I mean, it, as, as this test showed, driver versus three wood, the three wood is, is longer and, and going shorter in the three wood in, in the shaft length is going to allow you to help square the face up a bit more and maybe improve your cons overall consistency. But the fact of the matter is a driver has a significantly larger face area. So why not? Why not consider or at least test it out? I mean, heck, we've got Chris here. He works for TrueSpec, for goodness sakes. I mean, how many, how many golfers that are in that like launch deficiency area, how many of them are, do you suggest, Hey, why don't we just try a 12 degree driver? A lot of times I will not even make the recommendation, just put it in the rotation as we're testing different heads. And I will always kind of, before we look at it, let's just hit it. Let's get first impressions. Let's, let's see what it looks like at address. Let's hit it and won't even let them know what the loft is. I have uh, gone as far as taking electrical tape and covering up the loft and not allowing the player to see what it is that I'm actually putting in their hand, just asking them to swing it, see what it does. And the, uh, the higher lofted drivers for those intermediate swing speeds are, are definitely more user-friendly than they are hindering distance. I mean, to, to Gene's point, uh, the spin threshold, the, the launch window that we're trying to look at just to get the ball to carry. Now we start getting into a point to where it's competitive with that three wood or even longer. I mean, you take advantage of the larger surface area to your point J wall and, and take the extra MOI out of the driver. Yeah. So in a situation where you're looking at maybe having a guy test something that's going to help increase his launch, are, are you going to a higher lofted head or 
uh, a, sh- a shaft with maybe a, a bit more of an active tip section to try and help induce that higher launch? Which which one is the, the preferred option for you? Uh, I mean, you can do both. Essentially, you're going to see the biggest change in, in performance with head design. So changing static loft and adjusting for what it is that driver's doing based upon internal weighting, what the static loft is, the strike location of the player, so on and so forth. And then shaft kind of becomes fine-tuning instrument once we find the correct head. Now, a shaft will allow the player to kind of find a good match for his release pattern. So you can go with something that is softer tip section, smoother overall profile, whatever the case may be, just to allow that club to release to its full potential through impact and get as much launch and spin out of it as we can. Yeah. Are you, are either one of you surprised or were you surprised when you were looking at the the difference between driver and three wood carry distance, how significant the jump was from 80 to 90? I mean, it's very gradual. It's like three woods plus four, three woods plus five. They're, you know, basically a wash at 80, at 80 miles an hour. And then you get up to 90. It's a, you know, again, 10 miles an hour. I get it. It's, it's a, it's a jump. But all of a sudden, it goes from being equal to being 13 yards in favor of the driver. I, I guess for me, I, I kind of was surprised that it was such a massive jump from 80 to 90. Either one of you? I mean, speed equates to launch and distance. So, I mean, as you start to gain speed <clears throat> and the spin threshold kind of reaches that equilibrium, it, I mean, I would anticipate the faster you get, the driver starts to separate itself a little more. So at what threshold does that happen? Yeah, 80 to 90 miles an hour. I could start to see that being realistic, but it was a, it was an interesting jump for sure. Yeah. For well, sure. the, you've got, you, you've got two interesting things that are going, that are occurring there. One, you're, you're starting to get the lift characteristics just due to the club head speed. But the second is, the spin of the three wood is becoming so much greater than, than the driver at 90 miles an hour. And I think the spin is, is one of the major factors that, that, that starts separating that. Whereas at the slower speeds, uh, the spin is not as great on the three wood. And so therefore it's 80 more and, and it's the launch angle that's, that's providing the, the best benefit. Yeah. I, I do love the idea of, of a 12 degree driver. I think, you know, as we're looking at as at this test in in a vacuum, I mean it's it's driver versus three wood. And we're saying here three wood is gonna give you some more, you know, a bit more distance. You might have better contact with it in those slower swing speeds. But what if you what if you're not a three wood guy? What if that's just not a club, you know, like yours truly that you just don't really like? I mean, twelve degree driver is such a great option. Just just go bump up. And nowadays it feels like, especially in a lot of the the draw bias products in particular and the, the kind of the more max forgiveness heads that there is a 12 degree option that's available. So it's not, it's not that difficult to get a stated 12 degree lofted head and then be able to kind of fiddle with the, the loft from there. I think it's a great idea. I mean, do you remember when Nike was doing the, the 14 and the, and the sweet 16 drivers, J wall? That's right. I totally forgot about that. Chris sweet 16. Dude. <laughs> God, that's how how long ago was that? Uh, I think that was kind of Sasquatch era, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah, man, those were great times. That that driver, it's like still the ringing in my ear of that Sasquatch. Uh, that thing was, I mean, just 
fungo bat. You knew immediately on the range when somebody was hitting one of those things. Such a distinct and harsh sound. Gene's over there smiling. I think he remembers the Sasquatch as well. I uh, I have a 14 degree in my uh, group of clubs at my test site, so I see it on a daily basis, and that's that's why I was getting a kick out of it. It's a reminder of how far technology has come since yeah. Sasquatch, and that doesn't even Sasquatch doesn't even feel like it was that long ago. No. So that would no. be kind of an interesting one, Gene. Actually, take a you know take a very high MOI game improvement type driver at ten and a half, twelve. And then take the matching head design and test it against that 14 and see what the threshold is between launch and spin and distance just from a static loft perspective. But testing new tech, internal weight displacement, multi-material construction, so on and so forth, and see you know, does the static loft at 14 outperform the new technology with redistributed weight and higher MOI at 10 and a half or 12? I would make, uh, you know, it, yes, it would be a very good test. I agree. I, intuitively, what I would say is the ball's just going to go a lot further with new technology. And one of the main reasons is by adjusting CG location, manufacturers have been able to lower spin so much more effectively than back in the Nike days. So I'm guessing just a 12 degree, you know, high MOI versus a 12 degree now, even if both of them are you know, have the same loft angle and the same launch, my guess is your spin differential is going to be dramatic. And therefore, in the newer clubs, it's going to go a lot further. Only one way to find out. You got got to test it. Got to test it. it. Sounds like another story. (laughs) Man, we've got got lots of them. Anyway, be sure to check out the video. There's a video of the test on golf.com. Again, the, the, ser- the new series is called RoboTest. It's a fun one. The first video that we had come out about moving the, the basically T height is what it was, moving the ball up and down on the face to gain distance was, was a big winner. That, that video did insanely well first week out. So I would imagine this one will do the same. Anyway, so I wanted to talk about this story last week and I didn't have any notes as we were ripping through the podcast and we finished up and I was like, shit. I totally forgot to ask you guys if you had heard. So Steve Williams, Tiger Woods' old caddy, now has a podcast where he and golf journalist Evan Priest are basically recounting Tiger and Stevie's time together. And they're into their the, the podcast, if you want to check it out, it's called Chasing Majors. So episode two gets into the Tiger Slam, which for those that are unfamiliar, it's Tiger winning the three three majors in 2000 and then winning the Masters in 2001 to hold all four majors at the same time. Now, obviously not in the same calendar year, but still incredibly impressive. Will never be matched ever again in the history of the game. I believe it. Nobody's ever going to hold all four at the same time. So... One of the things that changed that year in 2000 was Tiger going from liquid-filled, balata-constructed golf balls. You're, we're talking about, you know, the ones that were very popular back at the time were, were the titles Professional and the Tour Balata. 
which I think all three of us remember. I still remember trying to rip wedges with a balada, fresh balada off the tee. If I pounded one down the middle and I had anything 130 and in, you knew when you got up there that there was going to be a nice skid mark on your golf ball. You were sure. seeing that you were seeing that yellow. The you know the, the paint from that cover was gone. Um, anyway, so those golf balls were were used predominantly on the professional tours for years, and then along comes solid core construction. Now, what's interesting about this story, as Stevie's talking about it, is Tiger switches to the Nike Tour Accuracy golf ball. Um, I re- actually a couple of years ago, just to plug a story that I wrote. I went really deep on Tiger's transition from Balada golf ball to solid construction and how Nike was sort of like, because they had Tiger, every all eyes were on Tiger. And Tiger's just shattering records left and right with the solid construction golf ball. And Stevie was asked, you know, what do you think, what kind of a shots per round advantage do you think this new golf ball gave him? Because Steve said one of the things that really stood out to him was when Tiger hit the stinger with the Bellotta ball, or I would say, you know, Bellotta wound, whatever you want to call it. He said that he had to, he had to be, he had to be precise and he had to really concentrate on that shot to make sure that it didn't float on him. But he said when he went to the solid construction right before Memorial, it was actually tested the golf ball in Germany when he was over there and, and decides to put it in play and the rest is history. But he said that it gave him, in his opinion, a one to two shot advantage per round by going to this golf ball. Now that sounds insane because we're talking anywhere between four to eight shots per round that Tiger's getting on the field. But the way that he played that season, I got to believe that that's pretty accurate. One to two shots per round. What do you think? Gene, I'm curious to hear your take on that before I jump in here. Well, so, you know, Nike was a client of mine from the mid-90s. So um, I was testing all of those golf balls, and uh, I worked closely with Rock Ishii, who was the designer of those mm-hmm. golf balls and rock would send them out to me and I would test them before he would bring them on to tiger. So, um, hands down, uh, that was a very interesting transitional period in golf in that the majority of players were playing wound or ballada balls, but there were a few that were leaking through the strata was one of them. This going a major ball. with it, and yep. yes, exactly. And 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 players were discovering this, but it wasn't until the tsunami of the Pro V One came along. Uh, you know, tour players are about the most superstitious bunch on the planet, right? And so nobody wanted to switch. And 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 I think one of the things that aided Tiger, in all honesty, was there was always this belief. And it was the same thing with his equipment. Oh, Tiger can hit anything. He's he's phenomenal. Not, but most tour players didn't understand the true benefits of the solid core technology, especially in distance in relation to Bellotta. And I think that is where the gain was pretty dramatic. And here was my always my criticism of Bellotta. You know, when you were talking about, and you go back to these footage, 
not only when, with a ball on a golf ball, do you have to worry about where you land on the green, but you've got to worry about how much that ball is going to skid back. And sometimes that could be 30, 40 feet. So sometimes you have to land that ball 30 feet past where your pin is and hope that it, it skids back or rolls back. With the solid core technology, you know, Titleist coined it, which I thought was brilliant, drop and stop. It, it's you go right at the pin, you fire at the pin, and the ball lands softly and doesn't move. So you combine that, I, I what I would consider better or optimal spin characteristics with the increase in driver distance. And yes, absolutely. I mean, to echo what you said, J-Wall, that's uh, with how well he was playing and the, the dominant performance that we saw for such a prolonged period of time. <clears throat> I absolutely see him having that advantage and one arguably close to two shots per round. I could see that. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely a, uh, an arms race out there. And when somebody as talented as Tiger gets a hold of something that is a competitive advantage and takes advantage of having it when nobody else does, I mean, you see the results. Yeah. You know, I think, I think back to when Bryson first started ramping up and getting big and considering going to maximum length and his driver and, you know, he's doing all these things and you started to see a couple of players go, wait a minute, why can't I do that? And it was just a handful of guys and nobody ever really like fully embraced what Bryson was trying to do. But then you look at the tiger effect with that golf ball. I mean, if you go back and look at the 2000 masters, 59 of the 95 players in the field were using a wound golf ball. By the following year in 2001, just four guys in the field were using wound ball construction. And I, I have to say, you know, we, there's that saying of like, tiger doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. And I've, I've always believed that, but I feel like when you look at what he did to change the, the perception of, of solid core construction, as Gene mentioned, you know, Tiger wasn't the guy, was he wasn't the torchbearer. Nick Price and, and Marco Mira had won majors with solid core construction balls, but Tiger Woods was front and center in sports at the time. He was the man. He was you know, basically the closest thing we've seen to Michael Jordan. So anything that he's doing, his peers are noticing. And, you know, that's that's why I'm just still amazed at how quickly they all just sort of fell in line with what Tiger was doing. It's like, oh, well, shoot, if Tiger's doing that, we got to do it. Um, the, the one what if that always has kind of, you know, and I hate what ifs because so many things have to happen. But you think about the success that Tiger had with that Nike ball and the fact that when we, when we talk about the success of solid core construction, what's the, number, what's the golf ball that comes to mind? It's not, not the tour accuracy. It's the Pro V1. V1. And it does make you wonder. Now, I don't know if a lot of people realize this. Nike's golf balls were actually produced by Bridgestone. Um, we actually have Adam Rayberg from Bridgestone on this week and he's going to discuss the new signing. They actually signed Jason Day to a golf ball deal. But Bridgestone was making Nike's golf balls at that time. And you just wonder. I mean, Titleist had the production. They knew what they were doing. They came out with the Pro V1 later that year in 2000. 
the rest is history. They basically got almost 50 guys to change into the new Pro V1 the very first week. Billy Andre wins. I mean, we've, we've told this story before. A lot of gearheads out there know the story in the history of the Pro V1. But it does make you wonder, what if Nike had the production in place? What if they were prepared for the success that Tiger was going to have and they could have capitalized on it? I mean... Are, is Nike still in the equipment industry? Is it, they, are they still in the hard goods industry? Are we talking about the Nike Tour accuracy being the golf ball? I mean, again, it's a lot of what ifs, but it does make you wonder based on the success that Tiger had. Like, what if? What if What if I, Nike had, had beat titles to the punch? You know, it, it, working with Nike at the time and working with Nike subsequently, I, I don't think it mattered. And I think that unfortunately- Probably right. It, you know, it was just unfortunate that, and it was the other OEMs and they were brilliant at smearing Nike and saying, oh, that's a department store brand. You know, they're, they're not committed to golf. And Tiger was such a unicorn that they were able to keep that message and go, he could play with anything. And he's, you know, and, and so it, it was just like his equipment. You know, the, the knock on Nike was always that it was inferior equipment, which I can tell you from a testing standpoint, it was not. And they had some great, great designs, but they were they were a victim of their own reputation. Whereas when Titleist came out with the Pro V1, you want to talk about a marketing juggernaut and signing up players. I mean, they were just brilliant. And I just don't Everybody think wanted Nike, that golf ball. Yeah, Everybody. Nike was Nike was Nike was never on a level playing field with with Titleist, unfortunately, and it was just it was a brand perception issue more than anything else. My favorite part I, about the original Pro V one was the seam on the golf ball. Line up, line up the seam, and and gain some extra distance off the tee. That was a legitimate thing. That was not a that was not a myth because they actually had do to you, change. Do you want to do you want to hear the truth on that one? Y- yeah, of course I uh, do. Yeah. Yeah, because I I remember that as well. That was <laughs> should you know, I settle in, rotate, get a drink? So yeah, you could rotate is, the seam is, and create different shot shapes. And so yeah. this is this is wild. But the symmetry test at the time was based on carry distance, and if you had the seam vertical or the seam horizontal, it had the same carry distance. So it was conforming according to the rules of golf by the USGA. But when the seam was vertical, the ball would be much more boring and come in hot. And when the seam was horizontal, the ball would flare. And you could visually see the differences. So so at 110 miles an hour for the test, they would both carry the same, which was the rule, but they did not roll out the same. And there was a big difference. And we saw it over and over and over again. And it was it was pretty wild to see because if you had the wind to your back, tee it with that seam horizontal, and that ball would flare, catch the wind, and take off. If you were going into the wind, tee it seam vertical and bore through. The problem was, and, and it was a flawed issue in the design, because if you've got a three-wood off the deck, you don't know where the seam is. So you're just hitting the ball. So it's like kind of like good luck to you on, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was an actual cheat code on a golf ball. I loved it. And as a kid, you know, you hear stories and you're like, no way this is real. And, you know, you, you'd hit one 
you catch it right on the screws and you're like, oh, oh man, that definitely works. Of course, you know, launch monitors weren't really a thing like, you know, bringing a four side GC quad out on the golf course and being able to actually test it. But it was, I mean, it felt like initially placebo effect, but it was real and was, it was oh, spectacular. It, it was, it was definitely real. No doubt about it. All right. So some other kind of nuggets that I just wanted to point out from, from last week and a little bit from this week, this week is Bay Hill. Saw Tommy Fleetwood and Matthew Wolf are using the Arnold Palmer, the iconic umbrella logo. They've got tailor-made TP5 picks golf balls with the umbrella logo dotting the cover. They look amazing. That's um, cool. Word is, word is that Wolf is actually strongly considering playing it. Fleetwood kind of on the fence. They were both, they both had in the practice round today. I actually posted pictures on my social media account at Jonathan R. Wall. If you want to go check it out. Um, another one that actually caught my attention from last week at PJ national, which was just, it's PJ national every, like year in year out is just such a brutal golf course. I mean, it just, it just absolutely crushes guys. I saw, I saw a couple of players shot in the eighties. Um, I think it was over par for the cut for the week, which you almost never see nowadays, but Louis Oosthuizen decided that he was going to have two different sets of long irons last week. So he, depending on the wind conditions, he had ping I two ten in the four and five. If there, if it was the wind was down, but if the wind was up, he went blueprint in the four and five. I don't, I don't think I've rarely, if ever, heard of guys having, you know, two different sets of long irons depending on the wind conditions. But I guess that's what happens when you play PGA National. It makes you think about <laughs> things that you normally wouldn't in a regular tournament week. Uh, another one that I just thought was a crazy story. Just from the just from the fact that he was able to almost double his peak, I, Taylor Moore, who's a ping staffer, um, he he earned his card last year, but he had noticed as he was going into the end of the season, kind of beginning of the year, that his peak height, so you know the apex point on your irons, was just too low for him. Um, he was in that like sixty-five to seventy-five range. And as he started to go into the West Coast swing, he just was noticing, especially with long irons, he wasn't able to hold greens. Um, he was really having to be precise with his landing spots. And so he worked with Pingin with Titleist, and they actually were able to get him up to 110 to 115 feet of peak height in a month, which to me was pretty mind-blowing. He, he wanted to stay in Ping Blueprint Irons, he went to the Titleist, the Pro V1, the Starball, and he went into the True Temper Dynamic Gold Tour Issue Mid. We've discussed the Mid on the podcast. It's a new product. It's the same weight as the X100 Tour Issue Shaft, but it's just got a little bit of a more active midsection that's going to help induce some additional launch, 10 to 15 in the peak height. So... With both of those, he went from 65 to 75 to 110, 115. Anyway, I thought that was a cool story. It just goes to show you that there are plenty of ways to add height to your clubs. As we talked about, you can, you know, if you're in a driver, you can add loft, but shot, you know, shaft can do it. Golf ball can do it. And Taylor's now in a, in an area where he feels a lot more comfortable and he can attack the green. So those are the big stories. As I mentioned, Jason Day is now a Bridgestone staffer for the golf ball. He's signed a deal. Part of it 
is because of Tiger Woods. He saw some stuff when he played with Tiger Bayhill last year that made him curious about the golf ball. He initially started in the Tour B XS and now has moved into the Tour B X golf ball. Had a chance to talk to Adam Rayberg from Bridgestone. He was actually just down with Jason in Sawgrass doing a lot of in-person testing. He had some insights on how J-Day tests, the Tiger component, how they've kind of talked about it, a lot of feedback, um, J-Day's development in future products, and a couple more interesting nuggets in there as well. Enjoy the interview. All right, before we get to this week's interview with Adam, I wanted to let you know that this episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor, George Gankus's training aid, the G-Box. The G-Box is the absolute best training aid to help you make a full and complete body turn. To accomplish the turn, both beginners and professionals can utilize the G-Box in such a way as to not only promote the correct depth of backswing, but also the proper width of the arms throughout their swing. The G-Box is not only easy to use, but provides the same immediate feedback from specific drills that George Gankus provides to all of his players during their lessons. Simply said, the G-Box is the most versatile training aid in golf today for perfecting both your backswing and downswing drills. To pick up your G-Box, simply head over to golf.com's Pro Shop and use promo code FULLYEQUIPPED for 10% off. That's promo code FULLYEQUIPPED, F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D, one word, at the golf.com Pro Shop. And with that, let's get to Adam. All right, well, most of the equipment signings for 2022 are announced in January. We got a surprise for March. Jason Day is signing a golf ball deal with Bridgestone Golf. You know what that means? We got to get Adam Rayberg from Bridgestone on the phone to have him talk through J-Day's testing process and having another major winner on the staff. Adam, what's going on, man? I'm sure you're excited. Oh, man, so excited. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to talk about Jason and, you know, just that testing process with him was, was pretty awesome to witness and such a great guy. We're, we're just excited to have him on officially in an official concept. Yeah. So... All right, let's before we talk day, I want to set the table here with the new Tour B because you all released a new golf ball this year. And for maybe some of those listeners out there that don't know a whole lot about the new technology behind the new Tour B, just kind of give everybody a little bit of an overview of what makes this ball different than the previous iteration. Yeah, it's a great, great way to start off. So we launched the new 2022 Tour B golf balls, um, kind of at the PGA show at the end of January. Um, officially in market this past Friday. Uh, the biggest difference between the new golf balls is the cover technology that we put on it. It has the reactive IQ cover, and we kind of say it's the smarter tour ball, hence the IQ. But um, what it allows the player to do is to kind of um, – the cover is intuitive, and it kind of acts differently across all different strikes. So the impact modifiers that we put on the cover, um, they firm up when you hit it very hard. When it feels a violent shot on the cover, it reacts that way and then rebounds fastly. But then around the greens, um, you want it to be soft and, and, you know, you hate to use this word, but you almost want it to be slower around the greens to where it stays on the face longer and it's more controllable. Um, the word slower obviously is, is not such a great word for consumers, but the tour players all came to us and said, man, if you could, have it stick on the face and tiger definitely said it a lot he used the word i want it to come off my face slower i want it the dwell time to be on there a long time so that's kind of what the cover does around the greens it acts um softer so it stays on your face longer and, and that equates to more control so a little bit faster off the tee a little more control around the greens that's the new cover technology the reactive iq 
There we go. And as you mentioned, Bryson and Tiger both continuing to play role. Are are they offering more more insights? Are they becoming more involved as as they're getting more comfortable with the with the R and D team at Bridgestone? Oh yeah, Bryson definitely. Tiger's always been since he came to us. He's always been really into the, the R and D process. He says it several times. Now's the fun part. We get to test the ball. Sometimes we'll see him and do some content at the beginning and interviews and stuff. But when we get to that ball testing with him, he loves that part of it. But Bryson, certainly, every year that goes by, more and more. I've, and I've never seen it this way with hardly any players, but he texts Andrew, our R&D um, test site manager, and he calls him. I mean, it's it's almost on a weekly basis that they talk, which is – you know, never before we had a player that involved with our um, R&D team. But he's always talking to Andrew, kind of getting feedback. They've always got some tests going on over there that Andrew is very secretive about, even with I'm us, sure. that they're trying to, to figure out things. And, you know, they're they're well on their way of, you know, working into the next generation of balls, which we just launched this one. So um, Bryson's awesome. He's, he's an R&D goldmine. I think I've told you that before. He just kind of you know, pushes us to do things that we haven't thought about. We're thinking about materials and how it reacts and the condition. He's thinking about performance, what it does in one foot of rock. So he definitely helps us from a player perspective in the RD side of things. Yeah. So let's get into J-Day. So 2021, beginning of the year, he starts out as an equipment free agent. He, he you know, severs ties with TaylorMade and goes the free agent route. And I'd heard rumblings that he was he was testing a Bridgestone tour beat. When was the first time that you heard that that Jason was giving the Bridgestone golf ball hard look? So um he he told he told me this great story the other day. Last Friday we got to work with him um personally down at, at Sawgrass and kind of um hear his mindset. So um he played at Bay Hill with Tiger, alongside Tiger, for two rounds, first two days. And there were a couple of shots that he said really stuck out in his mind because, obviously, he was playing a competitor ball. But one in spe- specifically, I think, was hole number six. Um, they both got short-sided. Pin was really tucked. And it was, you know, it was that really hard distance, like 40, 45 yards. And it's that distance to where you got to fly it there, but, you know, you got to have spin on it. It was like a plateaued green. And he said, Tiger was up first. You know, he was just outside of me, but we were basically right on top of each other. Tiger hits his shot. Doesn't look like he's really manipulating the club that much, which obviously we got to give a lot of credit to Tiger. But what Jason (laughs) said was um, it just looked like he was able to pull that shot off easier than what I had to do because he put a low – he hit it low, which Tiger always hits those shots really low. But he said it literally hit the green and stopped within like one foot of his mark from just 40 yards out, little zip back. Maybe he said it, you know, kind of sucked back a couple inches. And he was like, oh, that was cool to watch. <laughs> and so then he has to hit his. And he said, I have to hit this like semi-flop shot. You know, I don't have to throw it way up in the air, but I have to manipulate the ball to do the shot I needed to. So what I took, he said – I got lucky because mine one hopped and hit the pin and stopped. And he said it would have rolled 12 to 15 feet by. And yeah, maybe could have made that. But, you know, my brain started thinking like, man, he, you know, he really was able to hit a different shot because of what the ball did for him. So immediately after the round, um, he he got with um, Tiger's team and got a sleeve of the balls to take with him. So he started tinkering around with it. 
and kind of playing with it on his own. So kind of fast forward a little bit, you know, he, he started out with Tiger's ball, the excess. He loved the spin around the greens. Everybody does. Everybody loves that ball. You know, Tiger does a really good job of influencing people to kind of get their eyes to Bridgestone. We've had a lot of tour players do the same thing. They start with excess because that ball is, insanely spinning around the greens and it's fun it's, to hit it's, those it's shots. It's the tiger ball. Everybody, I would imagine <laughs> and, everybody, pros, recreational players, they all want to play the same ball the tiger uses, even though it might not be the best tour B for their game. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And that's exactly the way Jay, Jason described it. He goes, I want a sleeve of the tiger ball. He didn't call it the excess. He didn't call it the tour B. He said, I want a sleeve of the tiger ball. <laughs> and so he started off kind of using it like that and, and really loved it. But um, ultimately what he saw when he contacted us, we had a bunch of phone calls with him and kind of chatted with him, you know, in the, a year or so ago. And um, actually, I think it was around this time last year we talked to him. So this is about the time he would have changed from the XS to the X last year. But um, he definitely realized that the X still gave him what he needed around the greens. Obviously, it doesn't chew as much as the XS but it still gave him plenty. And he's a pretty high spin player with his mid irons. Cause what he was telling us is, you know, that the nine iron, the eight iron was getting a little bit floaty. And when he had to hit like to a back right pin and kind of carve one in there a little bit, it would get a little spinny. Cause what we saw last week when we were testing him, he was, I mean, he's spinning nine iron plenty. He's, he was 11, five with excess and right around 10, you know, 10, 10,200 with his X. So he's still putting plenty of spin on the ball with his nine iron, even with the X model. So it kind of allowed him to hit the shots he needs with his mid irons and low irons. And then even on driver, he said with excess, I was kind of getting up there to 27, 2800 with the X. I could kind of get that spin down and get a little couple extra yards. So for him, the complete performance from T to green with X worked out a little better than excess, but yeah, the Tiger ball got him kind of in the door, got him interested, and he saw some of the shots Tiger hit and um, kind of let him – eventually he got fit into the right golf ball. You know, the the entry ball got him in there, Tiger, and then he learned which ball actually fits his game better. Yeah. So he's been, you know, testing, tinkering with the ball for about a year, but but how long has this, how long has this deal been in the works? I mean, I know it was announced today as we're recording on, on March 1st. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when does that kind of start as – going from, you know, okay, I'm interested in the golf ball. I want to test it. Okay, now I'm going to put it in competition. Now I want to try and dial it in and go to a different golf ball. Okay, now I want to, you know, I like the ball enough where I want to talk about maybe doing a deal. Yeah, it's a great question because, I mean, we were very excited internally when he even first started on playing the ball. And obviously he went through some swing changes and some other things that kind of um, is putting his game back to where it is. But we were really excited to kind of work with him. But it was really on his time. I mean, he we reached out and said, hey, let's let's make this official. And, you know, him and his team said, oh, let, there's some things I need to do. I need to work out some club stuff and figure out where I'm going there. You know, I'm kind of I'm kind of fine where I'm at. Let's just let's just work together like this. And so as he started playing better, he got more comfortable with the ball. Obviously, he worked with us, but he understood which one fit him better, you know, because if let's say we would have got that deal done, we'd have came out and he would have been playing the XS and we'd have talked about it. And hopefully we'd have got some time with him and understood the X. But it really took a little bit of time between our team and his team to kind of better understand which ball fit him 
um, specifically. And, you know, he hadn't really done ball fitting before, you know, he'd kind of worked with the club and figured out what driver he needed with his previous company, all that. But, you know, he even said, you know, ball was a little bit of an afterthought, you know, they just, I got sent a couple models and I had to kind of figure it out. And with us, it's super important. It's, it's 100% of our focus. So we really have been talking with him a lot and, you know, talking him through the, the small nuances that he should see with his ball. So with all that being said, you know, this year just felt right. It felt good. He, he you know, he came off farmers, he was playing really well and that really lit it up a little bit more. And we had some things kind of out there already talking with him and his team. So the confidence, the fit, you know, he really wants to be a little bit a bigger part of our team. You know, he loves Bryson. He talked about Bryson a lot. Not a, not only just Tiger, he talked about Bryson and how um, into the science and all that is. And he said, you know, I'm probably right in between those two. You know, like I do like the numbers, but I do like the feel and, you know, seeing the windows and stuff, maybe like Tiger. So, you know, he's kind of a little bit more closer to Tiger than Bryson. So, the idea of being a part of that team, he liked the idea of that. And um, his game is trending very well. He looked great. He hit the ball good the other Friday. And it was it was really awesome to kind of finally get that deal done and, and get him with us to where we can kind of talk about it. Yeah. So in addition to talking to Tiger, does does Jason talk to anybody else on staff? Did, did he kind of feel out? I know you mentioned he's not – he doesn't swing it like Bryson, but did, did he talk to Bryson? Did he talk to Cooch or, or Freddie or any of the other staffers just to kind of get their take on the golf balls? I don't know 100% um, if he talked to Bryson, but what he told us is he just sees the way he is and he knows all the chicks he has to put into the ball. That's a great question. I, I probably should have asked him that, but he, he just talks so much about Tiger and, you know, really picking his brain. And, I mean, he was even asking him about, like the technique on those shots, if it was that much of a difference in what he's doing. And so Tiger's one that he really, you know, feels like influenced him a lot to kind of come to the ball. And I mean, he even said, I didn't really try a different ball. You know, I got that one from Tiger when I knew I was going to be a free agent. And, you know, that was kind of the deciding thing. Once I saw what that ball did, I didn't really go to anybody else or try anything else. And, you know, it's just, it's just the ball makeup. You know how, the ball makeup and the construction can decide what the ball does. And, you know, we do ours a little bit different with the cover and mantle layers aren't as thick than maybe he was used to. So the ball trajectory coming off those wedge shots and then into around the green are just different compositions. And, you know, Tiger's talked about it a lot and I could definitely go super nerd about Tiger and what he says, but he's talked about how guys, some guys like (laughs) uh, Tiger, talked about guys and how they flight wedges high and they come off the face high and they have a ton of spin and that's the way they do it. They like to drop them down like a beanbag, you know, like a real archy shot. And he just, he's never been able to do it. It doesn't look right in his eye. And that's one thing Jason was kind of talking about too. He likes the way the ball stays like really low, even on chip shots around the greens when he was hitting like 20 feet of chip shots he just like it just comes off so lower and i feel like i can control it better so those are some of the things that were important to him and talking with tiger was was definitely influential in that aspect yeah all right so you mentioned to me before i hit record that you were recently down in florida doing a little bit of work with lexi thompson who is also a bridgestone staffer and you went up to sawgrass 
to do some in-person work with with Jason Day. And I know you mentioned to me that you'd been doing a lot of, of you know phone conversations, but it was really the first time that you had had a chance to work with him in person. What is Jason Day's golf ball testing process like? What What makes him different than some of the other staffers that you work with? So um, the testing was, it was our first official in front of him. As you said, we just had talked on the phone and did some, some over the phone and zoom meetings and stuff like that. But I mean, for him, um, you know, he actually wants to, usually what we do with the players is we have a protocol that we use for every single one. It's kind of a blueprint. We go around the greens. We do a very short chip. We do a medium size one to where they can spin it a little bit more. And then we go nine, mid-iron, and then driver. Then it's opened up, whatever they want to do. That kind of checks the boxes off that the R&D team needs to kind of um, compare the data from Jason Day and Bryson and Lexi. That way we have a consistent palette for all of them. But then we just open it up and say, hey, what do you want to do? So for him, you know, he kind of went through those steps, but he really took a hard look at that nine-iron and six-iron, kind of what the spin was doing. And his, his testing protocol is a little more, I would say, artistry. You know, he wants to kind of see what the ball is doing on certain shots. So he would purposely heal it just a little bit with nine and six. And then he would want to know, okay, you know, I, I healed that one a little. How short was that compared to my other one? Okay, let me, let me kind of toe jam one a little bit. Is, is that going to be long and left? Am I going to hit it like five yards longer with my nine iron than than in a normal shot. So for him, it was a understanding, you know, in Bryson's term, the standard deviation of across the face. That's what Bryson would say. But for Jason, it was understanding where those slight miss hits go in relation to what he was trying to do. If he's trying to hit nine iron 155, if he toe jams one just a little bit, is that going to go 160 or is it going like 157? So what he saw was a, a, tighter consistency on kind of miss hits too with our ball. And that's what he said he felt when he switched over is like, man, when I, when I really miss it one, just a little, you know, they obviously they aren't missing in a lot like us, but when I miss it, it just a little, it, it's still staying about where I need. And that's what I really like too. And, you know, it, it's hard to finitely um, determine what causes that, but from an R and D and construction build, we've always said that our core technology in the gradational core is one of the most forgiving cores in all the industry. So that's one of the things on irons when you're actually producing a lot of spin versus ball speed. Cause if you think of driver, you're, you're presenting a lot of ball speed versus not so much spin wedges. You're presenting a ton of spin, but not a lot of ball speed right there in that middle category where you're hitting those mid irons and, and short irons, you're kind of right in the middle to where you're putting a lot of both on the ball. So it's very important for that ball to be stable. He used the word consistent a lot when he was describing the ball. So that was what's important for day. He loves the green side spin. That's, that's great. When he, we, we tested excess again, he hadn't hit excess probably in a year or so. And he just was kind of like, Oh man, I remember why I really like this ball. <laughs> so we had to, he was like, but I'll show you what it does on my mid-irons. Like, that's why I moved away. But it kind of brought him back to the reason that he came over to us. And so he starts around the greens. But really just a lot of focus on nine through six iron for him was super important. That's what makes it fun with the testing is everybody has their different thing. Like, Cooch wants to grind away at hybrid and driver for obvious reasons. He's trying to maximize that distance. You know, Tiger's 
you know, Tiger's Tiger. He's everything. He wants to hit four iron. He wants to hit wedges. He wants to hit driver. Tiger's a kind of check the boxes everywhere. Bryson is looking at the numbers. He's just a standard deviation freak. You know, he wants to look at that standard deviation of spin from the rough versus wet versus dry. And they're all just so unique. I mean, Lexi, we, you mentioned that we went and tested her too um, with some other things. And, you know, with her, it's, it's an eyeball test. She's very similar to, to Fred. Fred's the same way. They don't, don't want to spouting off numbers. You know, some of them like Bryson likes to hear the ball speed. He likes to hear the spin. He likes to hear the carry. So who hit a shot, we'll say 150, 190 carry, you know, and then the spins, you know, 10,000. So, you know, we're spouting it off kind of after every one. So that's what's fun about it is they're all so unique. They test in different ways. Some guys ask you, some guys don't want to hear the numbers. And Jason's kind of, it was fun to kind of work with him and understand what's important. And it seemed like those low to mid irons were kind of something we took a little extra time and focused on. Yeah. So that was actually my next question was, was what's a day like as far as his priorities? Is he, does he want you calling out numbers when he's testing? Is he, is he more like kind of feel based, a bit more old school, see, feel, um, kind of where, where does he fall in, into those, into those two areas? Yeah, he's definitely not a throw out the numbers immediately, like after every shot, but like he'll hit one and he'll just kind of ask, well, what was, what was the carry on that one? And then, you know, that's, that, that's the cue to give him a couple more numbers. Carry was, you know, one, 155, spin was 10, two and, you know, um, ball speed was this, you know, so he's kind of right in the middle, um, around the greens, all visual, um, Bryson actually even wants to know the spin numbers when we're hitting a 15 yard chip and a 40 yard chip day sees it, you know, he's kind of, the balls are obviously right in a nice little puddle there, but he sees the difference in the X and the excess. And, you know, every now and then he'll hit one and go, Oh boy, I nipped that one. What was the spin on that one? So every now and then we'll throw it out, but he's kind of right in the middle of, of seeing is, is what he kind of relies on, especially around the greens you know, the numbers aren't so important. He knows that the ball should land on a certain spot and then it's going to check to a different one. And then the, the low to mid irons, he's just kind of um, right in the middle. He wants to know the numbers. And, you know, when he really hits one really good, he knows what the numbers were. It's like he doesn't really need to know what that one was. It's the ones that leaked a little bit to where he kept, you know, what was my face angle on that one? Well, you were 5.2 open. Okay, well, what was spin in relation to that? So every now and then he'll kind of get a little nerdy and get into the numbers, but um, it's it's a nice smooth right in between, I'd say, between Bryson and Tiger. Definitely between Bryson and Fred. Fred Fred's a no numbers guy. Don't don't tell him anything. He just wants to walk to the green and see where the you know he. Fred even told us He's that he'll test. Guy. He'll yeah he'll write numbers on the ball like one, two, and three. Like it's the first prototype, the second, the third. He's walking to the green and looking where one, two, three lands, and then he's going from there in his next procedure. So <laughs> very old school. Interesting. All right. Well, we always try and tie at least one question in these interviews back to, to the recreational golfer, which leads me to this question. What, what do you think the regular golfer could learn from the way that Jason Day tests golf balls? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a great question. You know, we – we certainly are, you know, we're the number one ball fitters in golf. You know, we're, our goal is to pass down the knowledge and everything, not only from us and the tour players, but 
you know, everything about fitting down to the consumer. So, you know, the, the biggest thing that Jason does very well that can totally relate to the consumer is, you know, working the ball, you know, tee back to green. And Jason was very interested in what the ball does off the tee because he knows he needs to get to a certain number. You know, the guys have a, in their brain, as you know, they have kind of a number that they feel like they need to get to with spin off driver, but then carry distance in total. Now, carry distance doesn't mean anything if you get there by too much spin. You're not going to get the roll. You're not going to be able to carry a bunker and, and cut it around. So, you know, off the tee, it's important for him to kind of match up because he talked about it. The excess was great, but he really just couldn't, you know, off the tee, it kind of felt a little floaty and with his long irons, definitely. So he, you know, he found some detriment from the excess from there. So the everyday consumer, we, we say the same thing is like, you know, what are your priorities? This is one of the biggest things we ask when we start a fitting with a consumer. Like, what do you need from your golf ball? Not what do I want to give you? Like, I could give you a ton of spin, but if that's not really what you're looking for, then that's not going to help your game. You know, if you're not a, a greenside field player that produces a lot of spin, I'm probably not going to put you in a very spinny golf ball. You know, I'm going to try to maximize to your strengths and to against your weaknesses. So the biggest thing is understanding what the consumer needs and kind of start from there and build the fitting around, hey, I, I need to hit the ball five more yards. I need to hit it seven more yards. Hey, I need to spin it from 50 yards. What do you got? So that's one of the biggest things that leads all of our fitters in the right direction. And the tour players are the same way. We might not straight up ask them what they need, but they're so, you know, their golf IQ is so high you know, Jason already knew that like, yeah, yeah, I could, I could play the excess and give me all the spin I could ever want, but it really doesn't fit me. I really need to start moving down the route of the X. And so from the consumer standpoint, I think that's one of the biggest things is, is, you know, maybe not what you want, but what does your game need? <laughs> what is one of the things that'll benefit you most and give you about a golf ball? And if it is spin, then, then sure, let's go to the the RXS or the XS and fit that one into you. If you kind of lean a little bit more to the distance and want to knock some spin off in some areas that are, you know, a little too high spin, then we lean a little bit more to the RX and the X in this case. Yeah. It's some, some great insights and advice right there. Last question for you. You know, I know Tiger and Bryson are both key in the development of, of future golf ball products. Is Jason going to have a similar a similar role? Does he have any interest in trying to help develop the the future Bridgestone products? Absolutely. We actually even talked to him about it. Um, you know, we said, hey, you know, obviously these are the balls that just launched. And right before he left, Andrew was talking to him and he said, um, hey, um, in, in a few more months, we're going to get with you could be less than a few months and we're going to start talking about the new ball and his eyes got wide. I mean, he couldn't believe that we were already talking about the 2024 ball, but that's usually what happens is, you know, we launched a new one and R and D made, I mean, some years we've had prototypes come to R and D in January, the same month we launched the ball. So we're kind of a two year cycle. He's super excited about that. His eyes lit up and he was like, Oh man, that's, already and he was like we were like yeah well you know it may be only a few protos but we'll have some initial ones to kind of get your feedback and if that's what you want to do he was like of course i would love that so he's looking forward to r&d you know kind of testing the new ones and he was quite excited that we were you know really close to already you know start on a new ball which is 
which is insane because we just launched this one. But um, we're going to start working on the next one. And, you know, he'll be a part of it just like the other guys. And he was very interested in that aspect. He was, a, I mean, on a side note, he was a great tester. He was very focused. He delivered great feedback, um, actual usable feedback that, you know, describing the ball and kind of what it does and, and the benefits to him. So he's he's definitely an, an A-plus tester, um, which is odd because we've had tour players, Jonathan, that have been great numbers but terrible testers. And we're, like, trying to pull teeth to get the right feedback from them. So um, Jason's one of those A-plus R&D testers for sure. Yeah, I need more of those for for our club test player <laughs> testing. We we have some guys that's just like no matter no matter how you ask them, they keep giving you the same answers. It feels good, doesn't feel good. <laughs> that's that's not usable feedback. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and I get it. Some some are a little bit better about being more discerning than others, and and they can kind of be a bit more descriptive. But uh, yeah, the the feels good doesn't feel good. It just doesn't do it for us. <laughs> When we're no, no, to totally. Get usable feedback. <laughs> you ask them to elaborate, and they give you. It feels really good, and they get really in depth, right? Really good. <laughs> yeah, make 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 sure you underline that one, Adam. This was a lot of fun, man. Congrats again on the J Day signing. Yeah, man. So so good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And that'll do it for episode 130 of Fully Equipped. Thanks again to Adam for the time. As always, if you want that social media goodness. Check us out on Twitter. We are at fully underscore equipped. And Instagram, we're at fully equipped golf. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week.